0: historic practice of the church but times have changed after all when paul wrote his epistles prohibiting women pastors there was a prejudice a prejudice against women and we moved far beyond that isn't it time that we change our doctrines to fit the times women's ordination is the topic of table scraps today a production of table talk radio i'm evan gigline thanks for joining us With us today is Professor John Pless. He's the uh, Assistant Professor of Pastoral Ministry and Missions and Director of Field field Education at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And he's a co-editor of the book, Women Pastors, The Ordination of Women in Biblical Lutheran Perspective. Professor Pless, thanks for joining us.
1: Glad to be with you today, Evan.
0: Now, this this week, uh, or maybe it was last week, the second edition of this book, Women Pastors, was just recently released. Uh, would you tell us what is in the second edition that isn't in the first?
1: Well, we were able to include uh, three new essays by uh, uh, two Australian scholars and by one German scholar. The essay by Armin Wenz from our the Sister Church of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in Germany is an article that uh, ponders the dogmatic questions involved in the decision to ordain women. In other words, how does this... Uh, decision uh, actually have dogmatic or doctrinal consequences for what the Church believes. Uh, then there is a article by um, Dr. Gregory Lockwood from uh, the uh, Sem- Lutheran Seminary in Adelaide, Australia, actually uh, a piece that was originally published as part of his commentary on 1 Corinthians in the uh, Concordia Commentary Series, and uh, Uh, Dr. Lockwood takes a uh, a very uh, careful and uh, really exhaustive look at uh, the uh, text in 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul prohibits women from speaking in the Church, that is, from uh, taking the pastoral uh, office. And that article in particular is well worth uh, studying by anyone who has questions in regard to what the text of Scripture actually says on this uh, issue. And then finally, there's an article by another Australian Old Testament scholar and professor of liturgy at the Adelaide Seminary entitled Ordered Community, Order and Subordination in the New Testament. Uh, Dr. Kleinig looks there at passages uh, throughout the New Testament uh, corpus that uh, address the conceptuality of how God has so ordered uh, the church that is, put things in place uh, so that uh, Christ is exalted as the head of the church and that we live in the abundance of the gifts that he uh, bestows upon us through the Gospel, and how this ordering then includes uh, the relationship of men and women in the Church.
0: And the second edition of Women Pastors is available through uh, Concordia Publishing House. That's right. It seems that uh, one of the main issues concerning women's ordination is a a simple, proper understanding of the Holy Office. Um, let's let's talk first about the Holy Office, but if you wouldn't mind, do it in, uh, in responding to a common objection that's phrased like this. If men have the right to be pastors, women should have the very same right. How do you respond?
1: Well, we have to pick up on that one word, right. I think that's the problematic. Um, uh, the office of the ministry is not uh, a right given to anyone, male or female. Uh, the language of right implies some sort of entitlement, as though I have some claim on what belongs to uh, Christ alone. And so as uh, we would talk about the office from the New Testament, uh, we see that the office does not belong to the Church, does not belong to uh, uh, individuals, whether they be male or female. The office is that uh, that office which Christ himself established. Uh, John 20 uh, is the key text there. Uh, after the resurrection the lord jesus appears to not all of his disciples but uh, to the twelve or to actually to the remnant of the twelve and he uh sends them then with his peace uh to proclaim uh the forgiveness of sins uh, to forgive and to retain uh, sins in his name and that is uh, in fact uh, the establishment of uh, the office of the ministry and uh, uh, Christ does not send men or does not send women uh, in the in that text, but um, sends rather uh, the uh, uh, the disciples that he had uh, already elected, the twelve men uh, that we read of in the gospel record. Judas was no longer there; he had committed suicide. Thomas, of course, for whatever reasons, was not present. The Lord appears to him uh, a week later, and he too then uh, is. Uh, is is sent Uh, so when we talk about uh, the office of the ministry we want to keep in mind several things Uh, first of all the office is not a spiritual estate that exalts the office bearer over and above the ordinary christian Uh, we are made christians in our baptism and uh, christ calls some men not all men to serve as pastors as office bearers in his church uh, precisely to be those servants who distribute the gifts of forgiveness in uh, the preached word and with the Lord's body and blood and baptism.
0: So even before even talking about Galatians 3, which i like to talk about in just a second, we've already established that women's equality with man has really nothing to do with who the off- er, to whom the office is given.
1: That's right. I mean, it, it's really foolish, I think, to... Uh to make the kind of argument of equality as though men and women were simply interchangeable. Uh, there is uh, no way that, uh, that a man may become a mother, no way that a woman uh, may become a father. There are biological givens, and uh, the, the biblical record, both Old and New Testament, uh, uh, gives uh, testimony to the fact that uh, the distinctiveness between male and female is actually set in place by God, and these uh, creaturely distinctions uh, have spiritual significance. Uh, not, again, in terms of the way of salvation. Men and women are, are, are equally uh, responsible before God, are equally sinners, and equally redeemed in Jesus Christ. Uh, but the order of redemption, as it might be called, does not finally override and undo the order of creation men remain men women remain uh, uh, women uh, in in Christ
0: so if the um, the office of the Holy Ministry is about uh, proclaiming the forgiveness of sins or retaining the, the sins of the impenitent uh, preaching the gospel administering the sacraments uh, none of those things are works in which women don't have the ability to do um in fact in in some cases, women might be able to articulate the gospel better than than uh, some of some of the pastors today. How does the argument of ability stand against the scriptures?
1: Well, one is placed into the office, not finally on account of ability I mean after all, uh, Moses in the Old Testament had a problem stuttering, and uh, uh, Paul apparently was not very impressive in his own uh, personal experience or in his own uh, speaking abilities, and certainly, while the church is called upon in the pastoral epistles, First, Second Timothy, Titus, uh, to uh, discern those who have particular aptitudes or characteristics that would make them useful for the ministry, um, the the question of ability is is secondary. Uh, that um, it's not uh, a matter of the church deciding finally. Who has the ability to do this, that, or the other thing, but the fundamental question is, what is the office and the order that God himself uh, has set in place in the, in the Church, and does the Church have the authority to override what the Lord declares to us as his gift in his word?
0: So let's then talk about that Galatians 3 passage, and it comes from verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. You talked about this a little bit before, but if you would, uh, talk about that text, what Paul is talking about, and what he is not talking about.
1: Well, the whole theme of Paul's letter to the Galatians is justification by faith alone. Uh, That is, how we are declared to be right before God for the sake of Jesus Christ. And so in Galatians 3, uh, Paul is making the very simple assertion that of all the things that would indeed distinguish us in this life, namely uh, gender, ethnicity, whether one's Jew or Greek, uh, social uh, uh, social or economic status, slave or free, uh, none of these things uh, have anything at all to do with uh, our justification, uh, that is, our righteousness in Christ Jesus. That that righteousness comes to us uh, completely and freely as a gift uh, independent of anything we do independent of who we are and so uh, and so paul says that all are one in christ jesus he's talking fundamentally there uh, about our place in the body of christ uh, that uh, the things that would distinguish us in this life uh, do not obtain when it comes to our standing before god uh, we stand before god uh, through faith in Christ alone, uh, baptized, we have his righteousness, and uh, that's uh, independent of whether we we are male or female, Jew, Greek, slave, slave, or free. That's redemption, Uh, but that doesn't mean we cease being men and women when we are baptized. It doesn't mean that our ethnicity goes away when we are uh, brought into Christ. It doesn't mean that... uh, Slaves become free, and free men become slaves uh, when they are uh, joined to Jesus Christ by baptism. And so it really is a misapplication of Holy Scripture to use this passage uh, to try to justify what God... uh, uh, What God... or excuse me, it's a misapplication of Holy Scripture to try to use this passage to justify inclusion of women into the office of the Holy Ministry, where clearly... At other places in the New Testament record, uh, God assigns this office only to particular men. Not all men, but uh, men who have been qualified, and, or men who are qualified and are, are tested uh, by the Church according to God's own, own standards. It was the Swedish uh, scholar krister Stendhal who, in the ni- early 1960s already, uh, wrote a little book on uh, uh, men and women in the Scriptures and uh, Stindahl argues that uh, in this passage from galatians 3 paul has this great evangelical breakthrough uh, but then paul uh, kind of backslides on that breakthrough in writing 1 corinthians 14 and gives uh, and gives place instead to a, an old patriarchal way of thinking and likewise then of course uh, Stendhal, uh, accepting uh, uh, position of historical-critical methodology does not even believe that Paul wrote First uh, First uh, Timothy. He sees that to be the uh, product of a later uh, a later writing. And so Stendhal would uh, would would pit Scripture against Scripture. Uh, but he's um, looking, I think, at uh, Galatians three uh, with a um, uh, a very twisted kind of hermeneutic. That uh, uh, Galatians three is not talking about church. It's not talking about how God has ordered the church or how God has uh, established the office in the church. Uh, Galatians 3, rather, is talking about the free gift of salvation, uh, which comes to all regardless of gender, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of economic place. And, um, and, and it's simply a misapplication, then, of Scripture to run to Galatians 3 and argue that this means that women may now serve as, as pastors.
0: So just uh, just as Paul writes in Galatians three that there is neither slave nor free man uh, true before God in Christ before God, yet in other epistles and other parts he can he can also still admonish the slave to be subject to the master. Right. And in, in the same way, we can view the, view the same example with uh, male and female.
1: That's correct.
0: Uh, it, it seems like another popular argument is to pit Paul against Jesus, saying that. Uh, certainly, there are times in Paul where he is, you know, holding prejudice against women. But Jesus is radical in his acceptance of women. He talks to them when it's not culturally acceptable to do so, and he shows compassion to women when no one else would. Is there a contradiction between Jesus and Paul?
1: Uh, not at all. Uh, you know, that's a, uh, a kind of an old canard trying to pit Jesus against Paul, uh, making Jesus. Uh, to the kind of the free, radical, and Paul the restrictive uh, and uh, somewhat pharisaical uh, Jew. Um, exclusion of women from the office is not in any way or form uh, to be taken as a downplaying of, of femininity, a downplaying of, of the fact that uh, uh, these are, uh, women are dear sisters in Christ Jesus, fully gifted with salvation and uh, Heirs of his uh, of, of his redemption, uh, endowed with his Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, certainly, uh, Jesus does accept women. He is uh, very uh, he is very generous with his uh, his teaching. He teaches women. Uh, he uh, forgives women. He uh, uh, defends uh, women against uh, uh, you know against uh, charges. For example, as he uh, comes uh, to to be the advocate of the woman caught in prostitution uh, he has uh, 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 women in his uh, circle of followers uh, but he does not uh, call women into the apostolic office he does not number women among the twelve and uh, and I think there is indeed significance in that in that fact uh, but uh, even more to the point uh, when Paul in the two, Places where he uh, specifically speaks to the issue of women in the ministry uh, grounds his um, uh, his uh, apostolic teaching uh, in the word and will of uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is uh, the cre- Creator of us all, and um, uh, and we simply cannot set aside First uh, Corinthians fourteen and First Timothy two and uh, try to make them say something that they don't say.
0: When, uh, when we read something like uh, Paul's epistles, um, isn't it true that uh, we're reading a private letter from an apostle to a church or a pastor with specific context to which Paul is writing? Um, some would argue then we couldn't just take this epistle out of its context and apply it to all churches. Uh, what do you respond to that?
1: Well, the epistles in question are part of Holy Scripture. That is, they are received by the Church for what they are, namely the Word of God. Uh, Paul never intended that these letters would simply be matters of private correspondence. They are liturgical documents. They are documents addressed to the Church. We know, uh, for example, that these letters uh, were actually passed around uh, from congregation to congregation. They, They were read in the Divine Service. And uh, when Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he gives thanks to God that they accepted his words, uh, whether in person or by way of letter, as the, very, uh, as, as the very Word of God. And so, yes, we look at the context. The context of the letters uh, is a churchly context. Uh, Paul makes it clear, moreover, in writing to um, the Corinthian congregation, a congregation that was deeply fractured in all kinds of ways, uh, that uh, his restriction on the service of women in the Christian congregation is not merely a matter of solving a problem that was uh, peculiar to the Corinthians, but that uh, this uh, command from the Lord is for all the churches of the saints. Uh, there is, in other words, an issue of Catholicity here, universality, that uh that it's not simply that the Corinthian congregation is not to have women in the preaching office, but that in all the congregations, all the churches of the saints, uh, there are to be no women preachers.
0: We're talking with Professor John Pless. He's an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and missions at uh, and director of field education at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and is co-editor of the book, Women Pastors, an ordination of, uh, The Ordination of Women in Biblical Lutheran Perspective. Uh, recently released in its second edition from Concordia Publishing House. If you'd like to uh, talk about this, uh, you can go to our website, tabletalkradio.org, and click the Forums button, and we can carry on a conversation about this there. Professor, let's look at an example of, of a culturally pers- specific um, example from 1 Timothy chapter 2, where verse 11 says, A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach... Or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain, but to remain quiet. Uh, yet two verses earlier, Professor, it also says this, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly garments. Now certainly, Professor, you wouldn't forbid women from braiding their hair today, so isn't it inconsistent to forbid women also to become pastors?
1: Uh, not at all. In fact, um, in those earlier verses from... Um uh, that uh, Pericope uh, verse 9 the key there is that women are to dress modestly uh, that such uh, definitions of modesty will vary no doubt from uh, uh, from culture to culture uh, but the general principle is nevertheless uh, still in place that there is to be a modesty of apparel a modesty of uh, of appearance that women are not to uh, uh, to be appear to be something other than uh, uh, other, other than uh, the women that God has has created them, they are to uh, present themselves in such a fashion that they uh, do not invite or evoke uh, lustful uh, lustful thoughts or uh, lead others into uh, lead others into sin. That uh, that holds. Uh, particular definitions of what would constitute modest dress, of course, will vary from uh, uh, place to place. Uh, when uh, Paul then addresses the whole question of women not exercising authority over men, but being uh, quiet learners, as uh, you have, uh, I think, aptly translated that text, as did my colleague Dr. Gieschen in his essay in Women Pastors. Uh, the point is there, again, that there is a general there is a general principle uh, that the uh, place of the woman in the Christian assembly is not to be that of of proclaimer, uh, but she is to receive. Uh, she is to be. Uh, she is to be taught. And and that the argument, the whole context here of the argument, of course, that Paul is making in First Timothy, uh, has to do with how the life of worship is ordered, and how the uh, life of the congregation uh, gathered around the preaching of the gospel is to proceed. And so. Uh, uh, Paul says I do not permit then a woman to teach it. she is not to exercise this authority over man but she is to be uh, she is to 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 learn uh, in in silence and then of course uh, Paul makes his argument there on the uh, the sequence of of creation itself uh, that Adam created first then Eve and that it was uh, Eve who attempted to be uh to be a teacher in Genesis 3 and that leads uh, to leads into uh, in, into sin and so Paul is really talking about the proper and appropriate posture uh, for a woman in the church uh, whether in matters of dress or being submissive uh, submissive learner
0: now, I had the recent opportunity to uh, write on this text for your pastoral theology class. Just, I've got
1: the paper in my file. Yeah,
0: and, and everything you just said, I have in my paper. So, would you like to give me a grade right now? On... I'm
1: gonna, I'm gonna read it, and uh, <laughs> we'll see how how close you come.
0: <laughs> Fair so, enough. The well, goal there. <laughs> for the last couple of questions, let's uh, focus our attention to that of history. Um, historically, uh, in what way have women served in the church?
1: Well, you know, the fact that women are not to be pastors um, really, uh, unfortunately, sometimes ignores the fact that women serve in all kinds of godly and God-pleasing ways within the body of Christ, within their own feminine vocation. Uh, We see this, for example, in the early church as women served as deaconesses, uh, these women who would care for the poor and the needy, Paul makes reference to a particular order of widows uh, that uh, uh, served uh, the instruction of younger women within the uh, 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 within the congregations of his day. Um, certainly, women serve in all kinds of ways within um, uh, within the church, uh, but primarily, you see the the point that we would make is that uh, is is that women serve by being served by the Lord Himself, even as men. Uh, are served by the Lord himself in the divine service, that we come as, uh, all of us, male and female, come uh, together in the divine service as the bride of Christ uh, to receive gifts from our heavenly bridegroom, Jesus Christ. And, um, and 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 then, you know, as those gifts have their way with us, they carry us back to our own vocations uh, within our homes, within our communities where opportunities uh, for service uh, abound. And um, and and there are many opportunities within the Church. We think of, of not only deaconesses, but uh, uh, Sunday school teachers, choir directors, um, Lutheran day school teachers. It's quite interesting to me that those who uh, decry the fact that the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod affirms the age-old position of Christendom in not ordaining women uh, often miss the fact that the two large churches that do not ordain women, namely the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and the Roman Catholic Church have more women in professional positions of church service than any of the other bodies in the United States. Uh, hmm. uh, both uh, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and the Roman Catholic Church have employed large numbers of women uh, as parochial school teachers. And, of course, in the Luther- in our church, there, we have the Order of Deaconesses. The Roman Church has, has nuns. We have women uh, involved in theological scholarship and editing, uh, production of Sunday school uh, material. Uh, we have uh, women church musicians who so uh, freely give of their skill and, and of, the, of their time to serve the making of music in the, in the church. Uh, it, is, um, it is really to misstate the case to say that women have no place in the church simply because they aren't pastors. Uh, God has established the, established the office of pastor in the church so that the pastor might be a father uh, taking care of, uh, of, of the family of the church. Uh, women can't be fathers. Women can't be spiritual fathers in the church either. But that doesn't mean that women are insignificant or have, no, uh, uh, have nothing to do within the church. There are many, many opportunities.
0: At uh, what point in, in church history, you mentioned the, the Swedish influence in the 1960s, but at what point in church history do we begin to see pressure to put women in the pastoral office?
1: Uh, mainly in the 20th century. Uh, before the 20th century, apart from uh, certain enthusiastic uh, 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 enthusiastic cults that would uh, allow for women preaching, uh, the uh, pressure to have women pastors comes from, uh, more contemporary notions of equality and access, uh, what a uh, what a, a man can do, a woman was said to be able of, of doing. and And so uh, social pressures there uh, largely associated with women's rights, the women's rights uh, movement, I think uh, uh, pressured uh, many of the so-called mainline Protestant churches in that direction. Uh, and in uh, Sweden, the uh, large Lutheran Church of Sweden, Uh, decided to ordain women in the 1950s, uh, even though their theological faculties had um, uh, really uh, argued against it, and it was done simply as a parliamentary decision. uh, As as, uh, the office, the pastoral office, was seen as a civil uh, office of civil service, and the church being a state church, uh, what applied then to other civil servants was said to apply to the church as, uh, uh, as well. So it is not a movement that has been generated from uh, the scriptures or from new insights really into the scriptures, but superimposing uh, upon the scriptures uh, notions of of equality and rights that really are more at home in the uh, uh, 20th century.
0: And lastly, Professor, uh, many before me have made the correlation of uh, those who are accepting of women's ordination with those who eventually are accepting of homosexuality. Uh, In fact, the ELCA has recently made news um, in this regard. Uh, Would you make the correlation for us, uh, and why are the two related?
1: Well, both uh, derive, it seems to me, from a common hermeneutic, a common approach to Scripture. Uh, Thirty, forty years ago in American Lutheranism, the argument for women's ordination was mounted, uh, saying that these um, passages that, that exclude women from the ministry... Are time-bound, are cultural constructs that need not apply uh, to today, and the gospel then is seen as uh, basically emancipatory, liberationist kind of proclamation that would eliminate uh, or override uh, creational and historical structures. And we see the same argument made today for the inclusion of um, ordained uh, homosexuals or um, or for homosexual blessing of homosexual same-sex unions. That the biblical texts, which clearly um, uh, condemn homosexual practices contrary to the will of God, are seen as again uh, social or cultural con- uh, constructs and not applicable today. And this uh, liberationist gospel then is uh, said to override any kind of, uh, of, of barrier that may be there historically or in nature uh, to uh, to full access. It seems to me almost inevitable a church that ordains women uh, will at some point uh, end up uh, having to face the argument and succumbing to the argument uh, that uh, practicing homosexuals are also to be ordained.
0: Professor John Pless is Assistant Professor of Pastoral Ministry and Missions and Director of Field Education at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and co-editor of the book, Women Pastors, the Ordination of Women in Biblical Lutheran Perspective. Thank you, Professor, for joining us. Great to be with you. And the book is available in its uh, recent second edition release, just to the shelves last week, available at Concordia Publishing House. Thanks for listening to Table Scraps. on am Evan Gigline, and join us again next time. Stay tuned.